as, uh, as I tend to do here. It's, uh, I, you know, it was interesting. This was even before Pastor Marion had invited me to come during the anniversary month. This is going all the way back into June. The, the Lord started stirring up with, uh, in me about this time. So I've literally been praying and seeking the Lord for since June in times of prayer for what God wants to do uh, between this morning and tonight. So I know this is something that he, he really wants to deposit into your heart and into your life. So I'm going to start, there's a couple of stories I'm going to start that really highlight the aspect that I want to cover here this morning. And so you're going to notice, uh, I, I've been here enough times now that, that there are times when I'll get fired up, excited, and I'm preaching, man. I, I, I'll tell you one of the times I was at uh, Pastor Winston's church uh, preaching, I'm, ju- I'm standing on the front row, one of the chairs, jumping up and down and preaching. And I love that part, right? I grew up, I was telling uh, some friends, grew up holiness Pentecostal. How many of you ever were around that environment growing up a little bit, right? And I, I'll tell you what, I get into the pre- preaching and all of that type of thing. But I also, it's very critical to teach, right? And teaching is also one of those, the fivefold ministry gifts. And I really sense that today is going to be uh, today and tonight is going to be a very explanatory teaching for you to be able to walk out of here tonight or to, uh, uh, today and tonight with very practical how-tos as it relates to this aspect, all right? So what I want you to do, make sure you have your iPad, your iPhone, whatever it is that you use to take notes, have that out because we're going to walk through very methodically through some truth, and then I'm going to give you a very practical way of walking that out in your life. You ready for that? All right, so make sure you've got your Bible, your iPhone, where you're gonna take notes uh, so that you can stay right along with me. Okay, so I'm gonna start out this uh, first story. I was 18 years old. Uh, I was just had finished the first semester of my freshman year of college. I'd come home for Christmas, and one night the phone rang, uh, late at night, And how many of you know that sometimes late night phone calls just aren't that great, right? That means there's something else on the other end of that. And uh, on the other end of the phone was this uh, 12-year-old girl who was part of our youth group of the church that uh, that I attended in the small town I grew up. And her name was Tommy, and she said, she's got this voice of desperation. She said, Bill, we were having a sleepover with some of my 12-year-old friends, and... uh, in the midst of this, one of, my, one of the friends uh, began to drink. She was drinking. This is a 12-year-old, by the way, and found some alcohol and was drinking. And then we began to play on the Ouija board. Uh, and this, in the midst of this, all of a sudden, this little 12-year-old girl, she said, all of a sudden, she began to speak in these deep men voice, a, a man voice that literally is impossible for a little girl uh, to speak in. And so, of course, the other little girls, imagine a sleepover, right? This, you know, if any of you have ever had a sleepover and the girls are in there and they're playing, all of a sudden these other girls just begin to shriek in fear. And the dad runs into the room, and this gentleman was a pretty big guy. I mean, he was well over 200 pounds. And he comes in there to see what they're screaming about. And this little 12-year-old girl, tiny little 12-year-old girl, grabs this 200-pound man and slings him across the room with supernatural strength. And then, of course, he gets himself up. He then goes and he calls the police, calls the authorities. They send over uh, the police, the ambulance. And this girl is just literally with supernatural strength and in these deep voices 
cursing everybody and, and slinging these huge men across the room. And finally, they were able to sedate her, get her to the hospital. And this girl knew that I had just finished my first semester of Bible school. And so guess who she's going to call? Because she's figured out this is not human. This is not normal. So let's get the rookie to get involved here. All right? <laughs> and so she's, she calls me, and she's telling me this story, right? And she's like, and we need you to come in right now and take care of that. Okay? Never done that before. I'd read the Bible. I knew that those things had happened. So being the man of faith and power, shaking, my knees shaking, and, and, uh, and everything else, I got in the car. I drove in, and they had her into the little emergency room uh, in the local hospital there. I walked in the door of the emergency room, the back, the back door area of it, and as soon as I stepped into across the threshold, I heard this shriek that would just send chills down your spine, and this girl came running out of her room, screaming, this blood-curdling scream, ran down the hallway, found there was a little chapel there, and by the time I'd gotten there, she had put her fist through the stained glass window, blood on her hand, and everybody, once again, trying to sedate her, trying to control her, all of that type of thing. They got her set down. Parents don't know me. Nobody knows me from Adam. Everybody is freaking out. And I walked into that. I walked up right in front of her. And if you've ever stared at a de demonic face, you know what you see on TV? It's real, man. And I'm sitting there looking face to face with this little 12-year-old girl, and her face would literally change. The demonic presence would leave, and she'd be, oh, God, help me. What's going on? What's happening? It would be her little girl voice. And then here comes the demonic manifestation again. So under my breath, I had learned, thank God I'd done some studying in my first semester of Bible school, and I, under my breath, I said, in the name of Jesus, Satan, you shut up and you get out of this little girl. And it stopped. Within an hour and a half, the parents now, they, they don't know who I am. They just know that this 18-year-old snot-nosed kid come in the door and this manifestation stopped, bites me over to their house, I explained to them what happened, what was going on. That little girl received the Lord, got filled with the Holy Spirit. And for the next 10 years, we stayed in touch. I haven't, in, over the last a while, haven't. But the last time I heard, married, chill with children, living in Denver, Colorado, a beautiful life. Okay? Now, Hank, I, I, want, you to, I want you to grasp that story. And I know, theologically, some of you might be going, what is, wow, I've never heard of anything like that. It, it's just the truth. It's real. All right, the second story, this happened just a few years ago. Uh, Natalie and I were going to dinner with some friends, and we sat down to have dinner with these friends, and we had known them for a couple of years, and we're sitting at dinner, and I had this sense in my spirit that the Lord just told me, tonight you're going to cast a demon out in this place. Now, this was a Friday night. I had worked hard all week. It was the last thing in my mind I thought I was going to hear. I was just going to have dinner with some friends. But this sense, very strong sense, came to me, and I knew the Lord had said that. So immediately I'm starting to look around this place, and, because that's not an everyday experience. And I'm looking around the place going, where is this going to come from? I'm thinking from some crazy person is going to come in or whatever. Well, during the conversation, this woman begins to open up that when she was 12, around 12 years old, she was molested sexually. And then years later, it happened again. And she just began to open up about all of this. 
And she's like, she's now in her late 30s, early 40s. And for the past decades, every time she looks in the mirror, all she sees is this ugly, ugly human being. That's how she thinks of herself. That's who she thinks she is. And it has literally just, it has squelched her marriage, her relationship with her kids, all of that type of thing. Instantly, as she began to open up, this woman right there in the middle of the restaurant, her eyes just kind of roll back in her head and she's not there anymore. And all of a sudden, this other voice begins to speak through her. Natalie is sitting right next to me, so she can... (laughs) It's just funny because we talk about it. She's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know what in the world to do. All right? Uh, So we're sitting there and the same type of thing happened. Just under my breath, you don't need to be loud about it. I said, in the name of Jesus... Satan, you get out of here. You don't make up a big, you know, don't make a big fuss in this restaurant. Her chair, she's sitting in her chair. When, when we cast that devil out, the chair moved underneath her without her scooting or anything when that thing left, forcefully left. Now, you're wondering why in the world am I opening up with these two stories, all right? Well, it's important to understand that over the next, I mean, for years, we still, we still know this person this woman's marriage has just come to light. She uh, now blogs to women about being a queen for God and to how to live your life uh, as a beautiful woman. And her, her life, her marriage, everything has been restored since that moment, all right? Now, the point of what I'm wanting to share with all of you, and I know for many of you this is a reality that you know and understand it, but Today, we're going to walk through how methodically that we confront what Satan wants to do to steal from our lives, to kill from our lives, and to destroy from our lives, and to know and understand how to stand against that and how to walk in victory in our lives. Because the reality of those two stories is that there is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you. It's a reality, everybody. I've looked it in the face. I have seen what it has done to people. I have watched his, the, the demonic influence. Now, this isn't to scare anybody. This is to equip you to walk out vict- victory in your life. Because here's what we have. We have a culture now. We have a culture that we live in that's not new, by the way. It's been around since... since uh, creation, that, that we have a culture that really doesn't want to believe that there is a devil. They don't want to talk about it. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. But all you have to do is look around and you see the reality every single day. And it becomes more and more real every single day. The, where I'm going to start in, uh, in, the, in the Bible is in the book of Ephesus, all right? And in uh, Ephesus, there's a, there's a truth, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says, Satan is the God of this world, and he has blinded the minds of those that don't believe. There is a culture, there is a belief system that is in the world that is given by the enemy to blind you from the truth and from reality. It's a blinding spirit. And what it wants to do is to sneak in to kill and to steal and to destroy from us. It's a thought process. It's it's a working of a culture, everyone, that brings in deceit and lies. 
and works into your life to bring captivity to your life. But we, everybody say, but we. We have the tools to not just resist that, but to stand and be victorious in the midst of it. Bible says that Satan is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. So the question for every one of us in here is, are there areas in my life that I have bought into lies, and those lies have begun to steal from me, to kill from me, to destroy so many believers during this time, if you check the joy level and check the peace level of a believers, that's pretty equal to that of most non-believers in the midst of this. Lost peace, lost joy. That's not to be, everybody. That's not the way we're to operate. But we fall prey to things of Satan's tools and his deceit in our life that we don't need to. And after today, you're not going to fall for it again. You're, I said you're not going to fall for it again. Because you're going to understand how to stand up against it. Now, culturally, I said in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, that Satan is the god of this world, and he has blinded the minds of those that don't believe. He works in lies. He works that direction. So culturally, think about this world. If Satan is the god, little g, of this world and its system, what lies permeate our culture that are contrary to what God says? Think about it. What are they? I know there's a laundry list of them, but what are some that are just outstanding, that's right up in our face, culturally? Homosexuality, Sam said on the front row. Why don't we just put in generality sexuality as a whole? Right? We know that really starting in the free love era, right? And it was always there, but in the free love era uh, of the hippie movement and all of that type of thing, that, that love or, or sexuality as a whole really began to go its own route, okay? And it just grows and grows and grows in its expression and what is okay and what is allowed, all of that completely apart and removed from a creator who has specific guidelines for it. So we live in a culture, in a culture that if you stand for, if you stand for biblical values, you are laughed at. You're intolerant because the world system has coached and trained an entire world to move a certain direction that that is okay, that is the way you live your life. And if you don't believe that, you're the one that's intolerant. And they're tolerant of everything and everybody but you. Why is that? Who is behind that world system? And what does he want with that system? What is the goal of his system? Kill, steal, and destroy. The culture uh, uh, projects an image that free love, sex, uh, unrestricted, do what you want, all of that will give you the joyous version of sex. But the reality that's behind that is brokenheartedness and depression and, and relationship after relationship broken and marriages falling apart and, single, and uh, single moms trying to raise children. It's a culture of brokenness and, and, and it's a, um, we were talking a little bit about this last night, a roll of the dice when you go to have sex. 
Because you don't know if your life is on the line. Because you could die from that. It's a culture of brokenness. But young people, listen to me. It's a lie that the Satan in that world system is wanting to work into your life to break you, to steal from you, to destroy from you. But it's in every movie. It's in everything in our culture. And we must be aware. The Bible says be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, what? Seeking whom he may not just kind of give some hurt to, devour. Devour you. Why, young people, does he want to devour you in this world? Why? Because of how powerful you are. How truly powerful you are in walking with the Lord. But if he can grab you and drag you down and devour you in the world system, you lose your power and your influence. And you're no longer a difference maker. You're no longer that because you've deluded yourself. Do you see that, yes or no? His world system, the other, uh, another big part of it is money. Politics. Listen, everybody, if your joy and your peace is linked to your political party, you have put a God in front of you. Can I just say it again? If your joy and your peace and whether or not you love somebody or hate somebody, I'm defriending somebody because they're in a different, different political stance than me, you have placed a God of this world in front of your God. Come on, everybody, let's just be truthful. We gathered here this morning to hear truth, right? depressed for weeks on end because your party's in power, your party's not in power, this happens, this happens, our country's going to hell in a handbasket, and you've just lost all hope because of, of political things. It's not to be men and women of God. That is not the way it's supposed to be. You have to understand. We have to understand that this world system and the systems of this world come in to maneuver, to steal, kill, and destroy. And you are to be of your Father's kingdom. Now, are we to be salt and light and vote and do all of those things? Absolutely. But we are not to fall prey to, what the, to this world system and what it can do into our hearts and lives. My favorite expression is from Bill Winston. He says, we're not here to take sides. We're here to take over. Well, what does that mean? What that means is I've got to unhook and understand, understand all of this that's going on. The hate that's being released through media sources, media sources to inspire hatred and, and this animosity towards each other. So that if you're of one political party, I don't just dislike you or disagree with you. I hate you. Where is hate? Who is, where is, what is hate from? Who is that from? No, no, no. What does Jesus say? He says, you are to love your enemy. You are to bless those that curse you. Do good to those that despise you and use you. Oh, come on. What? What did I just say? No, no, Jesus said that. I'm to do good to those that do wrong to me. I'm to love my enemies. I am to bless those that curse, that curse me. Ooh, man, now I stepped into it, didn't I? 
Because that doesn't work in our current political uh, environment. And in this world environment that increasingly is going farther and farther into, in, into the grasps of the God of this world. But you, but you, you are to be salt and you're to be light and you're to know how to stand up against these forces. Now, here's the thing we need to realize. I know it's easy for us to say, oh my gosh, the world has never been so dark. It's never been so bleak. It's never been so evil. Not true. Not even close. As I said, we're going to be focused in, in the book of Ephesus. In the town of Ephesus, their major trade center was a temple to a goddess, Diana. Okay? And Diana was basically the goddess of fertility. And, and, and it was the banking institution, the trade institution, all took place in this temple. So it was the bank, it was the worship center, uh, everything happened there. So you basically, just not to be uh, gross, but just to be real about it, you could go there, get a mortgage and a prostitute. Deposit your bank, money in the bank, do some trading, massive orgies all the time. The whole city once a year would have a, just a complete celebration where everybody got drunk and just mass orgy through the whole city. That was where God sent Paul to start a church. Now, I'm going to give you the end of it, and then we're going to back up to how it happened. Because by the time Paul and the church were, were at it for a few years, the people who made their living in the temple began to make a ruckus because no one was coming anymore. They were all going to church instead. And they were losing their way of life. So they began to go after Paul because he had completely destroyed that city's way of living because people were leaving evil and coming to good. That was the end result. Let's back up here to see how it was that that happened. Everybody with me? Interested now? Because sometimes it's easy for us to sit and watch our news, whatever your news outlet is, which tends to be only what you agree with. Hey, that's part of being a guest. I get to come in and just throw it out there, right, Pastor? Right? We love to just talk to people that agree with us. I'm telling you, it's wrong, everybody. It's wrong. You are heading for trouble. Some of mine and Natalie's, uh, one of our closest and dearest friends, are as far on the opposite side of the political spectrum and we enjoy sitting down and having conversations. And I'm always amazed. How in the world can you believe that? How? This guy is a college graduate, has, I mean, educated. She's a physician. And they will sit and we will have conversations. I'm like, how do you, how do you possibly believe that? And we talk about these things. I will tell you, it gets to a point, though, after a little bit, he usually gets fired up and we have to say, okay, enough's enough, right? But I can sit there and talk all night. Let's talk about it. All right, enough of that. Let's, let's, let's go on. It's just truth, though, right? We love to sit, we listen to these things, we allow into our minds the things that continue to, we agree with and keep us going down a certain path. 
And those things get us angrier and angrier and angrier. And it gets to the point where if someone has a differing opinion, I have moved so far away from the way a human being should actually operate that I can't even listen to him or her. It is, not that, it is not to be that way with us. Because we have a bigger mission, everybody. I said we have a bigger mission, everybody. The pastor of the church when we were in Colorado, uh, in Colorado Springs, uh, he's a, he was actually Mikey's youth pastor, young African-American pastor. Just, I mean, he's on fire. We love attending that church when we're in Colorado. He posted on Facebook, he has a sweater made, and he says, I'm not political, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Now listen, everybody, I believe in being involved in politics. Please hear me correctly. But first and foremost, you are a child of God. Act like it. I said act like it. First and foremost. All right, enough with that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. Now, Ephesus, once again, end goal, the end goal of that was what happened in Ephesus. A town completely changed. A town that was completely immoral, had completely, uh, the God of this world had just wrapped it up in, in sexual immorality and everything that had to do with worshiping money and all of that type of thing, and completely had changed it. How did, how did that happen? Now, we're going to start with the part in Ephesians chapter 1 where he talks about, he says that he prayed consistently, all right? And I've shared in and around these ideas, so some of this is, is going to be a little bit of refresher but, but get where we're going to be going with this. So he says that I pray daily for you that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what is the exceeding riches of his glory in the saints, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power that is in us, and for us, that's the amplified version. The exceeding greatness of his power that is in us and that is for us. This is what Paul prayed for the church every single day. Father, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let them see what you've called them to be. Let them see how powerful they are. Let them see how much power is in them and is for them. Let them see it. Everybody begin to pray this thing on a consistent basis over your life. Father, let me see the greatness of who you've called me to be. Let, let me see this power, the greatness of your power that you've put in me and that is for me. Let me see it, Father, so I can walk it out. But here's a key critical definition of this word power that we need to understand. This word power here that he says that he needs us to see clearly. Is the, is the Greek word dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. Dunamis means an abundance of abilities. Say it again, abundance of abilities. So what is he saying? He's saying God show them the abundance of ability that is on the inside of them. See, sometimes we're like, God, just give me your power. But do we understand what that means? It means for us to get God's ability to live out our life, to walk out our life. It is a great exchange. It's an exchange of not us walking by our might or power, but by his power that is in us and for us and unleashing that power in us and for us. 
to bring change into community, to bring a, a power to us that we need. Do you see that, yes or no? Now, I want you to go from there, and we're going to move forward into, uh, I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. So now the story continues, right? So Paul's like, I, I'm praying for you that you'll receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can see this power that is in you and this power that is for you, all right? Now, what he says here, he says, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, which means this has, I don't know which translation, if that's the amplified up there. It means to be empowered through your union with him. So this verse says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So this word, once again, it's the same word power, this, this ability, abundance of abilities, but it's to be empowered. It's to take that power of God and to put it in you. Do you see that, yes or no? To be empowered means I have power and I put it in me. I become empowered. So how is it that I become empowered in a culture and in a, in, a, in a reality that there's an enemy that wants to come in and steal, kill, and destroy? So let's read through this. Be strong in the Lord. And if you would, if you don't mind, you could put up the uh, New King James Version just so I'm reading along with it. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How do I do that? Put on the, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to what? Stand against the wiles of the devil, his tricks. That's what wiles are. So he's like, look, I pray for you that you could see all of the power, the greatness, the exceeding greatness of God's power that is in you and that is for you. So I've got this abundance of power that's around me, God's ability, his ability, his strength, his dominion. I have all of that, but here's how it goes from being out there to in me. How does that happen? How am I empowered? Put on the whole armor of God. Now, how many of you grew up in Sunday school? Raise up your hand, all right? And, and you grew up in Sunday school, and for me, I mean, it's really cool in Sunday schools now, they've got videos and they've got cool technology. For us, it was flannel graph boards. Anybody, anybody with me on flannel graph boards? You, you too. <laughs> all right, man, I'm telling you what, Sister Palmer, incredible Sunday school teacher. And I remember her pulling out the flannel graph board, putting up the soldier, and then go through putting on these different pieces, right, that we're going to talk about here, right? And I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. There's a Roman soldier, and he puts on that sword and the shield and all of that type of thing, right? And I realized, okay, hey, there's armor of God. Great. There's armor of God. Okay, armor of God. Great. I know it's there. Do you know how to use it? We don't, everybody. And that's going to get fixed this morning. We know it's existed. We know it's out there. We know to talk about it. But we have not allowed it to become revelation in us so that we know how to pull it out and use it when we need it. Because here's the reality. Satan is there trying to steal from us, kill from you, destroy. And God has written in here through Paul the exact way of stopping that. 
and we sit as Christians, and we, we're, we're, we're sitting as a, as a Christian, and these, these, uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we try to will it away, or we try to pray it away, or whatever it is. You're not going to will it away. You're not going to pray it away. It says, put on the whole armor of God. It's a process, everybody, and it is an empowering process that I'm going to tell you when you learn to do it and learn to walk it out every day of your life, your life will never be the same again. Ever. It's a process. It's a power that allows you to stand when you're sitting there watching your news and hatred starts coming up on the inside of you. Stand. When he starts coming in with the wiles of immorality, young man, young woman, to try to work his wiles in to steal and kill and destroy your life, you're able to stand. Because let me tell you the reality of spiritual warfare. I've shared this with you before, but I have to do this. I'm, I think this is probably as close as I can get, right? That, okay. Go wherever? Okay, I won't go too far. I always like to just walk down in the middle with you, but I'm not going to do that. Um, the scripture says that he has given us, this is in Matthew, that he's given us the keys to the kingdom, right? And it says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So, when we read this, putting on the whole armor of God, is Satan attacking us or are we advancing on him? Let it, let it, soak, let it soak in. If you're doing as a believer what you should be doing, you're advancing. Everybody say advancing. I'm taking ground. Come on, say taking ground. And as I'm taking ground, the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against me. So what does he do to come in and try to stop me? He comes in with his wiles, his deceit, the, the culture of the world, all of that stuff, and try to steal from you. Young men, young women, God just keeps emphasizing to you. You, if you stand up for God and say, I'm going to advance for God, you have got to know how to stand against the wiles of immorality. You have to know how to stand so he doesn't work his way in and wipe you out. And that's true for men and women of all ages. You have to know how to do it putting on the whole armor of God. All right, so let's go. Let's start with, uh, with verse, the first of them. All right, wait a second. Let's, let's keep going. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but who do we wrestle against? Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, here's something I want you to be very, I want to focus in on. This word evil day, day means a very specific time. The armor of God is not something conceptually that we want to say, okay, I know it exists, all right? But that's kind of where it is. No, it's something that we need to know on a specific day and specific time in a specific situation how to put on us to receive power. It says, in, so that you will be able to stand in that evil day. How many of you, I know everyone's going to raise their hand, but as you walk forward with the Lord, you know when you are specifically running into an area where Satan is coming to steal from you. Whether that be health, whether that be finances, wherever that might be, immorality. You know, a marriage, guys, when in marriages, marriage is something that you must invest into ongoingly. All right, we're going to take a little detour. I promise it'll be little. All right. Everybody's going, yeah, right. We've seen you here before. Okay. Thank you. 
This is what happens, guys, in marriages. The Bible is very clear that when you get married in 1 Corinthians 7, that physically your bodies become each other's. Yes or no? Physically, it becomes the stewardship responsibility of the husband to meet the sexual needs of the wife. It's his stewardship responsibility. Vice versa is true as well. When you're married, it becomes the wife's stewardship responsibility to steward the sexual needs of the husband. That's a great time for all the men and, and women to say amen. Boy, that was weak. <laughs> Am I in the right place? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, but here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 7. If you do not do that, if I do not steward well the sexual needs of my spouse, it says that I open up the door for Satan to walk right in and tempt them. Is that in the Bible, yes or no? It's all right that I talk about this, right? So here's what happens if we do not, as husbands and wives, steward our responsibility to each other. I go over, I open the door, and say, come on, Satan, get him, get her. Does the Bible say that, yes or no? Man, it's quiet in here. Why am I talking about it? Because marriage is number one issue. Most of the time, every poll, it's either sex or money, but sex is usually at the top, is the number one problem of why marriages fall apart. Why? Because who's the God of this world? What is his greatest trick in marriage? To come in there and work into that area to defeat that marriage. Put on the whole armor of God. What is the truth? What is that about your marriage? And work that and stop that. Do you see that, yes or no? All right? So, I told you it would be short and sweet, so it is. Now you understand. You, you ever thought about this? You know the Bible says... It's going to be a little bit longer. <laughs> you know where the Bible says that he gave, he gave uh, one person, uh, uh, it was uh, five talents, right? And he gave another one, I think it was two. Yeah, thank you, two. And then another one, one. You remember that story, right? And so it said the master left and he gave them these talents. Now, that wasn't the talent of playing a piano. But that was a measurement of gold, all right? So that talent is equal in today's money of a million and a half dollars, Okay? And so he gives them this resource and he leaves and is gone for a while and then he comes back and he has them give an account of their stewardship. And he's teaching us a lesson that everything that you've been given on this earth uh, to steward over, you will give an account of. Now take that and link that to your stewardship responsibility in the bedroom of your marriage. Will you give an account, yes or no, of your stewardship of your husband or wife's sexual needs? Yes or no? Yes. Do you see that, yes or no? I need you guys to say yes. <laughs> and you guys have probably already taught of this, so forgive me. But I know this is something we have to reemphasize because, because uh, this, this, God, this Satan, this God of this world has culturalized this idea that the best sex life are out there with single men and women out in the clubs and doing it, you know, like and hooking up and all of that stuff. It's a lie. 
Every study's shown that the best sex life are in Christian couples who've been married beyond a decade. Come on, everybody. Why is that? Because you learn how to steward each other. You learn how to take care of each other. It's a lie, everybody. That culture, it's a lie. And it permeates and comes into kids going, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, it doesn't matter if I, if I love a girl or a boy. Yes, it does matter. Oh, you're intolerant. No, it's the truth. And we've got to stand, people. We have to stand in this evil day. We have to know how to stand. Young people, you have to know how to stand. Man, I keep coming back to young people. All right, let's go. We're going to put on the armor. So the first thing up, first thing we are to do is put on the belt of truth. So in your notes, I want you to put number one, and I want you to put belt of truth. This was the first piece of armor that he gave. The first thing when you are in that, in that place where the wiles are coming against you, all right, let's just say a young person, you're being tempted uh, to, to, uh, to have premarital sex or a married couple uh, tempted to have an adulterous relationship, whatever it is. What is the first thing I must engage? What is the truth about this situation? Do you see that? And when I get the truth about that situation, I empower myself to stand against his lies. So the first thing I do, and this is about every situation, if it's a business, your business is, is, is you're having difficulty in your business, financial, physical, any of that, any of those type of things, this process of putting on the armor of God is the process of empowering you to stand against the enemy. And the Bible says, resist the devil and he will what? He will run. So the first thing you do, put on the truth. What is the truth about what I'm dealing with? If right now your business is struggling, you've had a, a real strong challenge because of COVID, what's the truth about it? What does God say is the truth? And write it down. Write down a verse. Write down a couple of verses. And when you do that, you will sense this empowerment coming into your life. The second piece, put on the breastplate of righteousness. All right, well, what does that mean? Righteousness means to be in right placement with God. So many of us, when an attack, when we're facing an obstacle, we will go to, well, man, I must have sinned somewhere. Or I failed. I didn't do this right. No, 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 no. You've got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Just write some of these verses down real quick next to breastplate of righteousness because I'm going to move through this. All right? Breastplate of righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Do you see that, yes or no? So what happens when I put on that I am in right standing with God? Multiple things happen. One, it says that the righteous become as bold as a lion. There is an empowerment of boldness that comes into your life when you do that. So let's say you're facing sickness. Sickness is one of those things coming to try to steal from you. You put on the truth. What is the truth? Matthew 8, 17. He himself took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. That's the truth. Why put on righteousness? I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I can boldly stand against this. Satan's tricks can't come across the bloodline. Do you see that yes or no? How it empowers you by righteousness, putting that on. The third one. You guys that were in Sunday school, remember what the third one is? Your feet 
your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's such a mouthful. <laughs> How many of you sitting there? I remember as a little kid sitting there and Sister Palmer putting the boots on and they're going, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you're going, what the, what does that even mean? <laughs> Anybody else besides me had these moments in Sunday school, right? I'm going, what, what, does that, what does that even mean? All right, so let's break it down, all right? <laughs> preparation just means I get prepared, right? Gospel is good news, right? Right? Peace, this is, this is how it works. Peace, the Bible says, is how he leads you forward. The Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. So what, the, what, this really, what this verse means is when you're in that battle time, stop and hear from God. Where is he supernaturally leading you in that moment? And you will have a sense of peace, and that's why it's on your boots, because you go forward with your feet, right? Be led with peace. Have you ever been in that moment, you're about to open your mouth and say something to your wife, and God's going, don't. Don't, don't, don't. Just don't. And you did anyway. What happened? Or wives, all right? Don't say that to your husband. No, just bite your tongue. And you, and you bypassed it. What happened? What was the end result of that? And not good, is it? It's just not good. He, not peace, that's for sure. He leads you forward with peace. See, often in, a ba- in, in that time of battle, in that moment, We get so busy, we stop to just listen. So the third armor piece is you stop and listen to what God is leading you forward in that moment. Number four, number four. says, above all then, taking the shield of faith, whereby you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Everybody say faith. Okay, so faith, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and once again, hearing by what? The word of God. I know I'm throwing a lot of verses at you. You gotta just jot them down, but these are verses that most of you know. I'm wanting you to get the 30,000 foot view of this. This is you putting on your armor, but it is a proactive movement. It's something proactively that I'm putting up the shield of faith. I'm, when, when you make a stand against the enemy, by his stripes I'm healed, and you make a stand, you're not gonna steal against me, or immorality, I am not. The truth is that I am not to do that. I'm to be engaged in a, in a, in a husband-wife relationship, and you stand like that. He's gonna shoot darts at you. The thoughts are still going to come. And the shield of faith is, faith means per, firmly persuaded of God's truth. And I put up that shield of faith. He shoots that dart at you. And you put up the shield of faith. I'm a believer, not a doubter. I believe what God's word says. And it quenches, it says, it quenches those fiery darts that he shoots at you. You know, too often what what we want to do is we want to come down, we want to get one of the pastors to just pray for us to make it all better. Put a band-aid on my boo-boo and send me home. No, you're in war, Jack. It doesn't work like that. You've got to get the armor on, and you're going to walk back out there, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to shoot arrows at you. But you just simply put up your, your shield, and you quench them. Where this is taught, everybody, when you begin to stand and say, Satan, you are not going to steal from me anymore in this area. I am making a stand against you. Do you think he's just going to stop? No, because you're taking ground from him, right? You're, taking, you're on the offense. You're taking ground from him. The Bible talks about a story where Jesus is with people and he's teaching. 
And a man brings his daughter to Jesus, and he said, you know, often my daughter is torn up by this demon. Very similar to the story I opened up with. All right, torn up by this demon. And I took my daughter to your disciples, and they couldn't cast it out. And Jesus turns to his disciples and goes, come on, man. Come on, faithless generation. How long am I going to be with you? Right? I, I always love reading those stories in a way like the guy totally threw the disciples under the bus, right? Like, hey, I did. I brought it to him, and they couldn't do anything about it, right? Well, so Jesus simply turned to him and said, do you believe that I can do this? And he says, yes, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know that story? And it said that Jesus rebuked that demon. Now, I want you to really get this. And it said the moment he rebuked that demon, that the demon tore that child apart so viciously that she laid there when it was done like dead, and everybody thought that that baby was dead. Think about that. And Jesus said, she's not dead, and reached and picked her up. What was the lesson Jesus was teaching the disciples and teaching us? When you make a stand that you are not going to be in this place of my life anymore, he is going to try to tear you apart. You are not going to bring pornography into this mind anymore. I'm taking a stand against you. Get ready. I am going to start serving my husband the way I'm supposed to. I'm, I'm going to start serving my wife the way I'm supposed to. I make a stand. What happens? Darts, people. Be ready for it. That's his trick. You put up the shield of faith and start quenching those fiery darts. Do you see that? The next one is the helmet of confident expectation of salvation. I put on the helmet, it says, of hope. Confidently expecting. I've done a lot of teaching about that. You guys, I heard pastor teach after that, knocked it out of the park. You guys understand confident expectation. Put it on. Put on the helmet. Confident expectation will guard your mind. It will keep those thoughts from penetrating your head. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is something, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? Get thee behind me, Satan, because what? For it is written. Everybody, you got to get your mouth open. Speak the word. What does the word say about your situation? Satan, you get behind me because you are not going to put your immorality into this, into this mind. Get thee behind me because I love my wife like Christ loved the church and I'm not going to go after somebody else. Get behind me because it is written. Whatever it is, your business shall prosper. You get the idea. Get the word out. Get it out and use it and use it and use it. We are in a time of crisis in the world, a time of crisis in our country, and, and, and this is going to continue for a while, everybody. This is going to continue for a while. This is going to test the metal of who we are as believers. Are we believers, yes or no? What am I going to stand on? What am I going to stand for? Because I'm going to tell you, I was talking to Pastor about this yesterday when we were doing the podcast. This shaking, this shaking that's going on, it's going to shake people down to the core of who you really are. 
What do you really believe? Put on the whole armor of God, everybody. Put on the whole armor of God. 